Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crib Wolf Talks podcast. I'm your host, Lino Farah. I would like to take a moment here to respond to an email received from one of our listeners who asked, why the name Crib Wolf for a nonprofit organization? Great question. There are actually two merging concepts to our name. The word crib represents the dwelling. From the 19th century onward, people started to use the word crib in a housing sense of the word, or a safe haven. In America, in the early 2000s, MTV viewers came to know the TV show Cribs as a general place of residence, like a home or apartment, as popular celebrities took everyone on a tour of their homes. In a wolf pack, the vulnerable are supported by the efforts of the stronger wolves. A lone wolf is an individual who becomes vulnerable for various reasons and end up leaving their pack much like an individual with intellectual and developmental disabilities in the post-21 years of age era, with an aging population without any succession planning. That lone wolf will need to find a new crib and a new wolf pack so that they can feel safe, secure, and inclusive, so that they can enjoy the quality of life their parents intended for them to have. To sum it up, the name is derived from finding a home, a crib, for a vulnerable individual, a lone wolf, in the IDD community. I hope this brings some clarity to our name choice, Crib Wolf. Due to the COVID protocols, this podcast is recorded remotely from one backyard to another. Without further ado, allow me to introduce Kim Wintrot, a mother who is here to talk to us about her son. Kim, thank you for allowing me to join you today in your, in your home, actually, in your beautiful backyard for today's podcast. We have been friends for several years, and I know you do a ton of volunteer work in our community. You're also a wonderful caring parent to a young boy named Jacob. Please tell our listeners about Jacob. With Jacob, he has trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome. Um, He, with his, not with, for Down syndrome, not all kids are the same. Uh, Jacob actually is nonverbal. He talks just single words occasionally. Um, he communicates well by gestures, by uh, pulling us places. Um, communication, actually, surprisingly, without him talking, has been pretty good. But his story has been a long one. We knew at pregnancy that Jacob was going to have Down syndrome. We knew at uh, 13 weeks. The option was for us to keep him or not, and obviously we chose to, which we're very happy with. Um, we also knew that he was going to have some health concerns, and one of them was his heart. So that kept us, when he was born, it was an emergency C-section, and uh, we ended up being in hospital for nearly three months. In those three months, he probably had six surgeries, uh, most of them minor, exploratory, trying to get pick lines or IVs in. Um, and then the final one was um, a heart surgery, a minor heart surgery, which was one of the ones that just went up through the groin for a pulmonary dilation. He wakes up from that and he chooses not to eat anymore. So it was a complete oral aversion. So we ended up having to go to the call an NG tube, which is a nasogastric tube where we fed him through the nose. And then we graduated to a G tube um, at four months. 
At that point then, at six months, we actually ended up having his major surgery, which was open heart. Uh, and as much as that sounds horrific, when you spend any time at the hospital, it's, it's minor, the, his heart surgery. We were in and out within about three, four days. And, um, and then life began for us. And life ended up being complicated, making foods, doctor's appointments. There were some times I'd have three, four appointments in a day doing occupational therapy, physiotherapy, chiropractic, um, speech. You know, it just kept going on and on. So Jacob, he is, as a personality, he is the class favorite. He is the class clown. Uh, he tends to, despite the fact he doesn't talk, he brings everybody together. Uh, kids that don't want to socialize, he brings them out. He is a lover of babies, and I think he gets that from his father's side of the family. Uh, we had some uh, midwives in the family, so uh, if I can't find him and I lose him, I just have to find the closest baby, and that's usually where he's at. What else about Jacob? He's funny. He loves practical jokes. He's a cuddler, so with all this COVID that's going on, that's been a little hard, but um, it actually isn't probably working as in the social distancing. He still needs to hug, so, but uh, that's about it. Uh, Jacob is now just turned 13, he turned 13 exactly one month ago, and that would be about it. He is in life skills. Sorry, I add a little bit more. He's in a life skills class, and he's been in that for... Oh, five years. He's grade seven. And he's been going into special ed classes since grade one. So that's about it. You have been through a lot with Jacob's medical conditions, from the prenatal diagnosis to heart surgeries to oral aversions necessitating an alternative means of feeding to the life skills program. Yet he's one very happy, cuddly young man. Kim, could you walk us through a day in the life of Jacob? Well, for Jacob, his typical day probably starts off, well, it changes at the wake-up time, as a lot of kids do. Um, as a teenager, uh, he is presently been waking up at 6, and we send him back to bed, but then he's up at 7. Um, and we start his day with, I blend his food because he's G-tube fed. Uh, I make his own food. So the feeding itself takes about an hour in total so that I can get it into him before school starts. So for him, he goes down, he turns the TV on, he watches his, his favorite shows. Then we just do the feeding. He goes upstairs. He pretty much dresses himself and usually I have to inspect and possibly ch turn some clothes around on him. Uh, and then he's off to school. Uh, he loves school. He gets on the bus, which is really nice. We have the bus sitting right out, picks him outside, right outside our door. And then uh, he's off to school. He is in, like I mentioned, he's in a, a classroom with, I think, about seven or eight other kids. He has a nurse comes in twice a day to help help with his G-tube feed. And then he comes home. Uh, before COVID, we would often go to, we did a variety of therapies. It would be speech therapy. There would be horseback riding therapy. Um, uh, swimming, we would try to get him into since he loves swimming. 
And then on the weekends, we would have him go in and uh, do partake on a weekend class, which was, you know, two, three hours. It's respite for us so we can run around, get our things done on a Saturday. And Jacob uh, enjoys it because he's got swimming and he hangs out with his regular friends. He's been seeing, doing this for probably eight years. And yeah, the nice little community that we've got with friends there. So great to hear about the therapies that Jacob is involved with. And you are so correct. Community involvement is very important as this becomes a routine that many persons with IDD absolutely need to have in their lives. You explained that pre-COVID, Jacob was very active in various therapies. How has the COVID pandemic affected your lives and that of Jacob? Well, COVID for us has affected us very differently. We had a lot of personal stuff going on, taking care of parents. Uh, but our for Jacob, we were pretty lucky uh, as for kids, when a lot of the kids are being homeschooled, Jacob, because he's in life skills, he was still able to go to school. So that's been great. Uh, we used to have uh, uh, somebody come in once, twice a week to give him one-on-one -on -one respite. It was another teenager who was uh, would take care of him and play with him because Jacob being an only child, uh, he didn't have a playmate and parents being playmates are not always ideal. So we used to hire somebody in and they would play. That has been cut off. A lot of his programs have been cut off, like the speech therapy um, and the, the weekend programs and swimming. So yeah, so that's definitely been affected him. But for the most part, he's been able to go to school. We've actually had a surgery recently and that went off with no problem with COVID. Uh, so yeah, so for us on the whole, COVID hasn't been horrible, but yeah, we're waiting for it to be all over. Kim, it certainly is tough when the day programs that you mentioned, for example, his speech therapy and swimming, have ceased to exist due to COVID. I agree with you. As much as we as parents try to fill that void, we are not that playmate that Jacob is accustomed to. We do not have the ability to engage at that same level. Kim, many parents of individuals with IDD in their senior years are faced with critical shortage of housing options as they prepare to transition the care of their loved one with IDD to independence. I must tell you, in my senior years now, this transitioning dilemma scares me to no end for a number of reasons. Primarily, the fact that there are minimal acceptable supportive housing options and a discouraging long community waiting list. Baby boomers have aged, and the primary caregivers, often the parents, are a significant part of that group. As for the last census in Canada, seniors make up 16.9%. As you hear me speak to this dilemma, what are your thoughts at this stage of your life? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, first of all, there's part of me that knowing where we live, uh, Burlington has the highest uh, seniors ratio in all of Canada. So there's a part of me that's keeping my fingers crossed that there will be housing created for them and then they will be open. And I'm thinking that maybe perhaps Jacob will be able to, they will convert some of this housing into hopefully intellect for those with intellectual disabilities or all forms of disabilities. Uh, the other thing that we're hoping for with Jacob and his um, health concerns, it's a little bit morbid and I know as most parents, they probably think this is horrible to say, but it's, I'm not the only one I know that shares this thought. 
uh, Jacob with his heart conditions and with Down syndrome, their life expectancy is actually a little bit shorter. So there's a part of me that actually, as a parent, um, and this is hard to say, that he may go before us. And to me, that might be a good thing. It's hard. It's hard for, I think, most people to think that. But that's where we're at because I know when they go into long-term care, if they go into long-term care, it's not ideal. It's definitely not ideal and he needs that socialization. It won't be there the same way that he gets in the home. He needs his hugs. He needs his people uh, and any people would be fine. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to long-term care, there's a part of us that knows that, A, there might be more housing. We're keeping our fingers crossed. But um, if not, he may not need it for long. Kim, I appreciate your sharing your deep concern with Jacob's life expectancy and your reservation over his possible placement into a long-term care facility. We know everyone, and perhaps more so individuals with IDD, certainly do need their hugs. Their people, as you have stated. In our last podcast, I discussed the term succession planning, which I'm aware to many could mean a number of things. For example, planning the sale of a family business, retirement planning, or perhaps the creation of a family will, and so on. To me, as a parent of a special needs adult, this means something totally different. When you hear the term succession planning, what does this term mean to you as a parent? Well, for me, I have actually been worried about this since he's been three years of age. Uh, they had us put Jacob on a housing list at three, and I thought, what? He's three years of age. He's not getting kicked out for, I joke around, he gets kicked out at 19, but we all know that probably won't happen until he's 40. Um, but uh, we, I know that if he's going to get into public housing with being taken care of it will be when we're in crisis mode as in we cannot take care of them probably because we both have passed on so that's why i've reached out to you lino with crib wolf trying to figure something out i have also with jacob's little uh we have with our down syndrome association a little group that we've been friends together since we kids have been infants and we've all talked about getting a group home together but the problem with that is that we have seen that the government, if we develop the group home, they won't do any funding So for the um, home care, for the people to come in to take care of them. So we would be totally on the hook for the housing and all the nursing care and uh, food, everything that would be involved. That's, I've been quoted at about 40,000 a year, but because of Jacob's needs, I'm going to assume it's going to be more like 80,000 for him. So, so if we're even thinking about that, I'm looking at probably 20 years at 80,000. That's a little bit of money. Um, but we've got ourselves investing with good people. Uh, I'm working. Not a good job. All my finances are going to him. We do not have a huge house. We do not have a lot of nice trips. In fact, trips are always just visiting family. So, you know, we, but that's fine. That's fine. But all our money is going towards Jacob when we're gone for the what ifs. Uh, we're hoping Cribble will work something out. 
Um, hopefully I, we can get some money together, some foundations, get the government involved. But it, it's a complicated and very costly project. So that's where we're at. Kim, thank you for sharing your involvement with parents of other Down syndrome children. And yes, we're all too aware of the government's lack of funding if parents elect to self-fund a group home setting. The costs are significant and the need is very real. For this very point, I will reiterate the Cribble Foundation exists to raise awareness and necessary funding to construct a multi-residential community with full support systems in place. For example, nursing, speech therapy, occupational therapy, etc. One that offers social interaction, safety, in a nurturing and inclusive community. Well, like I had mentioned earlier, we thought about this approach. We thought it would be doable for a small group to get together with. And I think it would be lovely, but in in reality, financially, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, if you can put them in something like a nursing home style, as much as we hate that idea, it doesn't have to be that idea of what we see of bad smells and all that stuff. You could still make it really personable and it would be more uh, financially beneficial. The other thing with the small group homes that I do see an issue with is if someone is sick, someone, um, they can't find uh, workers to work the group home. It's not easy. It just would not. Okay, so back when we were back at school with Jacob, we have a nurse coming in for G-tube feedings. When one of the nurses is away, we have had to pull Jacob out of school because they don't have enough nurses trained to do his G-tube feeding. When you're working in with a small group home like that, you have somebody who is off, wants to go on vacation, trying to find employ someone to do the fill in the shifts. It's really hard on a small model. So I see the uh, larger nursing style home group, larger homes, multi-level home uh, work much better. And you know what? You could probably get a lot more services there. You could get pools. You could get a gym in there. Um, you can get more group activities probably that way. Um, so I actually think that would actually work quite nicely. I do agree. There are challenges with staffing a smaller group home model that are not as apparent in a larger multi-residential community setting. What are your thoughts on community housing and support waiting lists? And at what point do you think parents should perhaps investigate the application process for independent supportive housing options? I actually think it's a bit of a joke, the housing wait lists. Uh, we went through it with my, uh, just with the seniors in, our, in my life. Um, there is no wait list. It only happens when crisis happens. So that's the scary part because then we won't get to choose where Jacob gets to go. He, what's going to happen is that he's going to deal with probably the loss of his last parent and then get thrown into a group home instead of transitioning to um, a group home and maybe go on weekends and still see the parents and establish friendships and still see family. He's unfortunately, he's going to deal with the loss of a parent, his home, and thrown into a new life where no one's going to know what he needs, really. So it's scary. You are so right, Kim. Managing during a crisis is not an ideal solution to uproot anyone to a new environment. 
a gentle transition, one that includes, as you have stated, home visits with parents, will allow relationships of the new community setting to take root. A much more humane transition to a new environment. Cribble Foundation was founded on the concept that the lack of housing options for individuals with IDD waiting to transition to an acceptable residential home with the appropriate supports is best addressed by the creation of more multi-unit residential communities with mixed tenancy. Kim, it was an absolute pleasure having you on Cribble Talks. I'm certain our listeners appreciate hearing all about Jacob and your joys and challenges. You're a wonderful caring parent to a terrific young boy, Jacob, and one of millions of super parents providing loving care to a child or adult with IDD. I've seen him here this morning, smiling and keeping busy, and obviously very happy. We've heard you are very concerned about the future care of your son, and rightly so. Cribble Foundation is a registered nonprofit organization, and like all NPOs, we rely on financial support to meet our objectives that of building a multi-unit residential community which is inclusive, safe, nurturing, interactive, and with the proper supports. We are growing, and the creation of our wide-reaching podcast program has been wonderful. Cribble Foundation is looking for some larger space as a new home to our nonprofit organization and our podcast studio. All contributions are graciously welcomed at www.cribble.com. I do hope everyone will tune in to our next podcast. All past and future episodes of Cribwolf Talks are posted on both our websites, cribwolf-foundation.com and cribwolf.com, and also found on Spotify. If you'd like to share your story or have a comment or like to be a guest on our upcoming podcast, please write to info at cribwolf.com. Stay safe, everyone, and follow the protocols. And remember, let's help those who cannot help themselves. Have a wonderful day.